1: Good Tuesday morning. This is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida.
2: I am Christy Landwehr from Aurora, Colorado, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for this Tuesday, June 15th, episode 2704. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world.
1: It's the third Tuesday of the month on Horses in the Morning. And that means we get deep into training, education, and horsey fun with Christy from the Certified Horsemanship Association. And welcome back, Christy. Christy is here the third Tuesday of every month where we get to geek out on all sorts of topics that relate to teaching horses and especially riders, which is one of the great things that makes the CHA episode of the CHA unique is they focus on teaching the people who teach the people to ride
2: yes we definitely focus on instructors and not the trainers even though many of us end up being both but yes very much the instructor how are you coach jen
1: coach jen is just fine hanging out down here in ocala florida and oh you're back yes we are back we're we are off the road for now last week if you're listening to this show when it first uh comes out we were on a road trip we were testing all of our systems for the great big listener visitation te- uh road show that's happening in august where we're gonna take the horse radio network literally on the road and go and visit <coughs> listeners all over the place on we're staying east of the mississippi this time and we're we're hitting i think 14 different states or something it's nuts oh my god it's awesome. nuts. yes but it's I'm i'm looking forward to it it's gonna be nuts But I'm looking forward to it. But this is the part of the show where we always catch up on what Christy Landwehr has been up to. And it's always fun to hear about your adventures. So what is up in Christy's life right now?
2: Yes. Well, in my personal life, which I'll just jump right in with this because, oh, my gosh, right before I got on the show today, I was dealing with them. We, because you know, we're crazy and you'll do anything for your children to give them experiences. Um, Sean, my uh, he's a senior for 4 H and he's a junior actually for high school, but he really wanted to show market chickens this year so that he could be in the livestock auction at our Arapahoe County Fair. So we have 14 chicks which grow eight well, in eight weeks, they grow six pounds each no. and they start. To pick- Oh my goodness, they are not a laying hen at all. The laying hen chicks we got, you know, years ago when we first started working with laying hens, and you know, laying hen lives nine years, you know, if you really treat it well. The average lifespan's five, but we have one nine year old one out there right now. And the chicks grow very slow, very surely. They will start laying eggs for a year, everything's calm. Oh my gosh, these market hens in one week are the size of what an egg laying hen is in one year. Dang it is Insanity. That's kind of crazy. And their legs, literally, Jen, already look like drumsticks. Already look like drumsticks, their legs. And their breasts already look like like a big breast, like a breast that you would buy when you're like, oh, I'm going to buy this chicken breast to eat for dinner tonight. It is insanity. And they act so different because they just get so big so quick. They're so lazy. They like, go <laughs> from their water. Whoo, that's a lot of work. Then they go over to their food. Ooh, that was a lot of work. And they have to keep lying down. It is fascinating, and here in Colorado, because we're in Colorado, I've got to put a fan on them in the day, and they have to have a heat lamp at night.
1: Yeah, because they're still, yeah, they're I mean still baby it. chickens, yeah.
2: Yes, it is like, it is an adventure, yes. So, anyways, I am learning so much about the difference between a meat bird and an egg-laying bird, I had no idea. Growing up in, um, you know, the urban part of the world, I never really knew some of this rural stuff, and I am, boy, I am on a fast track learning extravaganza.
1: So that's interesting. So he, why did he decide to go with, with meat birds or market birds, because that's the PC firm, versus a laying bird this time?
2: Because he really wanted to go to the auction. He really <laughs> wanted to experience selling the meat. He wanted to experience getting the money for college. You know, he's getting closer to college, and he realizes he's going to have to pay for some of that. Oh, so the, so like, the laying hens, they don't sell.
1: Do
2: Correct. You don't sell anything that can't be slaughtered. At the Arapahoe uh, County Fair. uh, Yeah. You only sell things that are going to be eaten. So egg laying hens, you just show them and then you get belt buckles for, you know, doing well in showmanship and you get all kinds of that kind of stuff. You don't get any cash. You get uh, some cash when you go to the auction. Uh-huh. And they they pay ridiculous amounts for these birds because it's, um you know, a lot of your big companies come in like Goodyear tire and your mercantile and your local tax store and your gas stations. They all come in and they want to have the picture of them with their ant with an animal. Yeah, it's and a community thing. Yeah,
1: it's a community pride thing. Correct.
2: Yeah. And so the cows, they sell for so much that a lot of these companies are like, oh, I can't afford that. Even a pig, a goat, a lamb, quite a bit of money. So they're like, well, we'll just bid up the chickens. So they literally will give for these chickens $1,500 for three chickens.
1: Wow. Wow.
2: Oh. Oh, it's kind of crazy. So your price per chicken, because you think about how much a chicken costs, not very much. How much does it cost to raise them? Not very much. Is it a lot of time? Oh, sure. But the actual expense is not very much. And they also grow in eight weeks. Whereas if you have a steer, a market steer, you have to have that thing for 11 months. You've got to have a pig for six months, right? I mean, so a chicken really is the best way to go on economics, but there's just an adventure. They're truly an adventure. I just wanted to share with the people.
1: <laughs> Chicken adventures. Well, there you go. So, yeah, if, <laughs> if, if you're the sturdy independent sort and want to raise your own meat, chickens sound rather efficient.
2: Yes, they're pretty
1: darn efficient
2: and they're really interesting. But I'll tell you right now, I'm on Slaughter Day. That'll be the father and the two sons. I will be gone drinking wine at a friend's house.
1: Yeah, there we go. It's Not for everybody.
2: I will not be doing that. I will not be doing that part. But it is a good thing to learn how to do an experience. I think, I think that's fine, but I don't need to be here for that part no. yet.
1: <laughs> there you go. All yeah. kinds of adventures here on the CHA episode. Now, quick, before we get to our first guest today, um, what have you got coming up on the uh, CHA schedule?
2: Yes, there's a couple things I really want to talk about. We do a vaulting certification. A lot of people don't know about this. It's for recreational vaulting as well as those that compete. And it goes up to level three in vaulting. And we're going to have one this year in Ohio, June 25th to 29th. So I know it's coming up quickly. But for those of you that live in Ohio, I think there's still one or two more openings. And they're open for auditors to go and watch. So just get on our website at cha.horse and you can go to clinics by location or date and find this one. It's going to be great. And then just so you all know, the webinars and streaming videos are all up, and a lot of them are free of charge. Just go on and enjoy them. And then one more thing I just want to mention really quick. Um, I've been asked to be on the board of directors for the Colorado Society of Association Executives. So it's for basically those that run um, associations. So you know how CHA is a membership association. And we're gonna have an event in Vail, Colorado, um, and next month. And anybody that runs a nonprofit, so whether you're a therapeutic writing center or you run some other sort of not for profit, so a five oh one C, whatever the case may be, three, six, whatever you are, look at the American Society of Association executives. They'll probably have a state chapter. I have learned so much about running a nonprofit from these guys. And they normally do lunches where you learn and Oh, it's wonderful. So I just wanted to throw that plug in for them and also just to share with those that run a nonprofit. I learned about this late in life, and I wish I had known about them 20 years ago.
1: Okay, so the name of the the organization again is?
2: American Society of Association Executives, and their website is asae.org, and you will learn so much. And then you can find a state chapter and even see people you know, up close and personal now that we're all starting to get back together again and you can learn and learn and learn.
1: Perfect. Now let's move on. We're going to talk to Pam Minick about uh, some really cool stuff.
2: We are so excited to have Pam Minnick on our show today. Pam has been inducted into the national cowgirl hall of fame, the national cowboy hall of fame, Texas cowboy hall of fame and Texas rodeo cowboy hall of fame. We do not have slackers on our show We are so excited to have her. She is a former Miss Rodeo Nevada and Miss Rodeo America and has hosted more than 1,000 TV shows on channels such as ESPN, TNN, NBC, and CBS. She's also the host of the American Rancher and Gentle Giants on RFD TV. Pam and her husband, Billy, live on a small ranch in Argyle, Texas with their horses, cattle, donkeys, dogs, and they love team roping.
0: Hi, Pam. How are you? Good morning. Thank you. And it's a little steamy in Texas today, I will tell you that. Explain where
2: Argyle is for those that might not know.
0: So we are just north of Fort Worth between Fort Worth and Denton. Um, If you're uh, traveling the horse show circuit from from Fort Worth to Oklahoma City, you'll pass our exit right there off of I-35, which obviously spans the whole country, but um, it's a nice little kind of a horsey enclave. There's a lot of hunter-jumpers around uh, where I live, and um, and we're the rodeo ranch-riding people in our neighborhood. Well, Pam, I'm so excited to
2: talk to you. Um, you actually hosted the uh, Tournament of Roses parade as well in your career, yes?
0: Yes, I've done that for the last 12 years. Um, I started off um, for RFDTV hosting that, just the equestrian groups, um, for the first couple years that I did the sideline commentary, and then I moved into the broadcast booth and uh, for the subsequent 10 years, I've been the play-by-play commentator of the Rose Parade for all uh, the bands, the floats, and the equine groups. And one of the great things about RFDTV is that they don't go to commercial during the horse groups, all the other networks choose that as their time to, you know, make money and, and run their commercials. But RFD-TV shows all the horses, and that's my favorite part of the Rose Parade because that's really how the Rose Parade began. It began with people with horse-drawn carriages covered with flowers more than 130 years ago.
2: Well, Pam, I love that. I grew up in Southern California, went to the Rose Parade, and then worked for Medieval times and got to ride in the 100th annual Rose Parade. Side saddle on a prancing and illusion, but that was before your time. I think doing the announcing of it, it was quite a while ago now. But what a great thing! And I also have broadcast news background, so meeting you is so much fun. And I cannot wait until I get to meet you in person in November at our international conference. I am so looking forward to that.
0: I'm looking forward to it too. And thank you all for choosing Fort Worth. I think that all of your members and the people that come to the area are just going to love what we love, and it's really. Every single day in Fort Worth, we celebrate Western heritage and horses. So um, your, your entire membership is going to just love coming to Fort Worth.
2: Well, and tell people a little bit about the Fort Worth Herd. So Kristen Jaworski, who runs that program there in Fort Worth, she's our current vice president, and she's been on this show, actually, and talked to us about it. But you're the volunteer president for the group right now, right?
0: Right. We have a volunteer organization called Friends of the Fort Worth Herd, and we provide the funding to purchase new horses. Um, most of our steers are donated, but what it is in a nutshell is more than 20 years ago, the city of Fort Worth wanted to celebrate our Western heritage and to provide something for visitors that really set us apart from other cities. Um, for example, when your group chooses a Fort Worth as the destination for their for their event, we hope that other people look at the Western heritage as well because we really have something to hang our hat on that other cities don't have. So more than 20 years ago, this, the city of Fort Worth adopted into their um, into their budget to fund this herd twice daily cattle drive. And every day at 1130 and four o'clock, a herd of Longhorns parades down Exchange Avenue Kristen is the trail boss and and she's been it since almost the inception of the herd. And what that means is that she has to put together all the horses, all the cattle and the drovers who wear period costumes. There's nothing phony about it. I mean, there's no, you know, sponsor patches on the shirts or anything like that. Everything is the saddles go back, you know, to replicas of a hundred year old saddles, the bridles, everything. And. It gives the fans and the visitors that come to Fort Worth, and locals love it too, a chance to see what happened more than 100 years ago as cattle were paraded down the Chisholm Trail. So when y'all come to Fort Worth, you'll get a chance to see that. Every year, they add another steer to the herd. So now she's currently parading more than 20 steers down the avenue, unencumbered, no fences, no anything, two times a day, every single day, unless the weather Uh, is kind of dicey.
2: We're so excited to see that. And then the other thing, Pam, that I cannot believe we're doing, we are going to go to Billy Bob's for our award banquet. And it is one of the largest honky-tonks in all of the U.S. Is that correct? And you co-own it, and you've also been their marketing director. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
0: Well, Billy Bob's, imagine, if you will, and this is what I tell people. First of all, we're in a cattle barn that was built in 1910. So the building that is now Billy Bob's was built 111 years ago. And so as you walk through it, you'll notice that it slopes. Now it's more than 100,000 square feet. So it's bigger than a Walmart. And it slopes down because in the day when it was built as a cattle barn, when the stock show was over, they would just take a big fire hose and hose it out. Well, that elevation makes it perfect for concert seating. And we have Every weekend we've got the biggest concerts in the world um, at Billy Bob's. Last week was Brantley Gilbert, before that was Thomas Rhett, Hank Williams Jr., Miranda Lambert. This summer we've got Leonard Skinner and Kid Rock, so we do not just country, but we do a little bit of rock and classic rock as well. Uh, Willie Nelson has played at Billy Bob's 55 times, so he's He's kind wow. of a, a, a staple there. Um, but uh, imagine, if you will, a, a giant big cattle barn with with bars and seating and a re, two restaurants, a gift shop. And we even had what was the auction barn when Billy Bob's was a cattle barn. The auction ring is now a bull riding arena. So every Friday and Saturday night, there's real bull riding inside our nightclub. And those people that get on those bulls, I'm
2: sorry, but that's crazy. I'm very impressed by them, but oh my (laughs) goodness, it is so neat to watch inside like that versus outside in a rodeo arena, right? There's such a different feel. It's amazing.
0: Well, and it's the closest you'll ever be. If you go to any rodeo or any PBR professional bull riding event, you'll never sit as close as you do in this. And these aren't just people that have a few beers and want to get on. They're professionals. They pay an entry fee, yeah. and they um, and um, and you really get a chance to see uh, real bull riding up close and personal. Personal, and you'll get a little dirt on you. I'll tell you that. It's like being in the splash zone
2: when you go to <laughs> you know what, Sea World and things. Uh uh-huh, The dirt zone instead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The dirt zone. That's great. <laughs>
2: It's pretty awesome. So Pam, tell us a little bit more. I when I introduced you, I talked about Gentle Giants. And of course that has to do with your draft horse experience. You've done so much. So tell us a little bit about your draft horse experience and about that show.
0: Well, Gentle Giants is um the top rated equine show on RFD TV, which is so awesome because there's a lot of music shows, a lot of agricultural shows. So for a for a equine show to be um, to be, have the most viewers, I think speaks volumes for those of us that are interested in the the horse world, the equine world. Um, about, oh gosh, eight years ago, the owner of RFDTV ha- had a meeting with Joe Rickett who started TV America trade and owns the Chicago Cubs. and Joe had a competitive six horse hitch of percherons. And he happened to meet Mr. Gotch um, of RFD TV at a at a party one day, and he said, "You need to do a program about draft horses." Now, mind you, I'm a quarter horse girl. I I've roped and barrel raced all my life, and recently got involved in AQHA um, shows. I won a reserve world championship last year in uh, ranch riding, so I've I've kind of gone to the, from the timed event to the judged world now. But I. I didn't know anything about draft horses when they called me eight years ago, but they said, can you produce a program on draft horses? And like any good cowgirl would say, I said, yes. And then I dove in headfirst. And what I found is unlike just like other disciplines, the draft horse world was very welcoming. They were happy to have a spotlight shined on the world. But every week on RFDTV, my program visits Belgians, Percherons, Shires, even Icelandic, the little Icelandic horses, the gypsies, um, anything, you know, a draft horse is really a horse that pulls. So any horse can be considered um, a draft horse, but primarily the big horses are the spotlight of gentle giants. And we cover draft horse pulls and of course the world championship six horse Hitch classic series finals, which will be held this year in, in Indiana. So um, people love, you know, I, People equate draft horses with the Budweiser Clydesdales. They're the best ambassador for the draft horse industry. And imagine a program that's just about big, lovable draft horses every week, and that's what Gentle Giants is all about. I think
2: that's amazing. We have here the National Western Stock Show, and every year the draft horse and mule show is over the weekend. And there are six and eight horse hitches that come in there with Percherons and Belgians and Clydesdales and all kinds of different horses. They'll get in there, and at one point in time, you'll have literally a 100 horses in that arena and these gentlemen and ladies that can drive these hitches and parallel park them it is unbelievable i can't even parallel park my car
0: pam they're there parallel (laughs) parking eight, eight horse hitches wow yes we've actually covered that and and the and the six horse hitch classic series finals has been held there in Denver. And we've gone up to Loveland. They've got a wonderful draft horse show up in Loveland every year in January. The weather's not so great, but the draft horse show is wonderful. And so Colorado's got some really uh, top competition for for draft horses. And they truly are just what the name implies, gentle giants. The one thing that, that draft horse owners tell me, that you need to make sure that the horses never realize how big they are.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> by neighbor has a Belgian draft horse um, team too, and they're coal and cash and coal and cash do a lot of weddings and a lot of uh, during the winter taking people around the outdoor malls. I mean, it's just really neat and it's it's fun to have them right next door. Pretty special and It's
0: been fun to, fun to learn about those different breeds and fun to bring it to um to America. you know it was it was an industry that didn't really have a spotlight shined on it, so we we're proud to do it. So tell us a little bit now, I
2: know we're jumping all over the place, but you've done so many wonderful things. I just want everyone to kind of learn your journey. So for young ladies out there that are interested in being Miss Rodeo America, how does that journey start? I know you were Miss Rodeo Nevada first and then Miss Rodeo America. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that all works?
0: Well, you know, I came from a family that didn't have horses. My mother and father uh, never even rode a horse, but I was fascinated with horses when I was a little girl and they indulged my fantasy with two horses, one named Rebel and one named Rio. And I immediately joined 4-H. So I'm really a product of the 4-H equine program and learned about horses and things. And then I, after school, when I was in high school, I was riding horses to make a little extra pay my entry fees, basically, um, for, for a gentleman where they had the hor- horsemanship competition for the Miss Rodeo America pageant. And that's where I kind of gotten, got an interest in it. But, uh, but it was really from afar. And I was kind of making fun of the rodeo queens because some of them didn't know how to tie a goat. And I thought that any self respecting rodeo girl should <laughs> know what, how to tie a goat. And he said to me and issued a challenge that said, if you think it's easy, why don't you enter? And so I entered my local pageant and won that. And that led me to Miss Rodeo Nevada. And six months later, I was Miss Rodeo America. So I wasn't overly prepared, that's for sure. But I had you know, the basic skills, the ability to communicate, and, um, and I could ride a horse and And I made all my own suits in the competition. At that time, you wore Western suits. And so I could sew. So I just, that's how I won Miss Rodeo America. And then that really set the tone for me when you talk about broadcasting. A few years later, when they started, when rodeo became a, you know, a a sport that got the interest of television they called me to be the sideline reporter, and so I, I started my career on in broadcasting in 1976 as a sideline reporter for for rodeo, and the funny thing is, is no other sport had even had a female sideline reporter at that time. I think um, football had the next female sideline reporter nearly four years later, so I, without even knowing it, just by saying yes, which is what cowgirls do, um, I kind of broke, broke some ground for ladies in broadcasting.
2: You did. You blazed the trail, Tam. You sure did.
0: And then what were
2: some of the things that you did on ESPN, TNN, NBC, and CBS? Was it primarily rodeo? Were there other things involved? How did all that work? Um,
0: On all those shows, it was all either rodeo or bull riding events. Um, When the professional bull riders started in uh, 1992, uh, TNN was the exclusive network for that. And at that time, TNN was available on basic cable. So there was, uh, you know, nearly all the, the U S that had cable and was interested in the sport could watch it on Sunday nights in a set time slot every Sunday night. So that really did a lot to grow the sport of rodeo and the sport of bull riding as well. And I did that up until, um, Oh, gosh, just a few years ago. And uh, so rodeos and bull riding was my main focus. And then Mm -hmm. when I started working for RFD-TV 20 years ago, I started hosting the American Ranch, which is a weekly spotlight on various cattle breeds. And then most recently, Gentle Giants. So I I keep very busy. And in the meantime, I keep competing with my horses as well.
2: Yes, and I love that you're doing all those things. So can we just talk just a little bit about all the different Hall of Fames that you're in and how all of that came to be. How does one get recognized to be able to go into a Hall of Fame? I think that's amazing that you're in four of them.
0: Well, you know, it's not something that you ever set out to do. It's not a goal that I set because the recognition that you get from these Hall of Fames is is really um, at the will of either the selection committee or the people that nominate you. And, um so my first, the first notification that I got um, that I was being nominated into the cowgirl that I had been nominated to the cowgirl Hall of Fame was actually in the 1980s, and I didn't get inducted until the year 2000. So my name sat mm-hmm. in my nomination pool for quite a long time, um, but um, I I don't even know. Uh, I served as the vice president of the Women's Professional Rodeo Association, and I competed and, you know, and won um, a world championship in breakaway calf roping. And so the the various, I guess, notches that I had on my belt are what, what satisfied the criteria for induction in the Cowgirl Hall of Fame. And then the Cowboy Hall of Fame, that's really quite, you know, that's kind of a feather in my cap because there's not that many women that are recognized. In the national cowboy hall of fame in oklahoma city and so um, i received that award i think 1997 and then texas cowboy hall of fame and texas rodeo cowboy hall of fame those are those are a little more natural because i am a cowgirl but it's fun that you see you know especially the texas cowboy hall of fame which you guys will see when you're in fort worth for your convention it's right there in the stockyards right adjacent to the john wayne museum and every honoree in the Texas Cowboy Hall of Fame has their own booth on display with memorabilia. So I've got like my Miss Rodeo America boots in there, and my sashes, and some of my awards that I've won. And so you get to walk through and see George Strait in there. Um, I'm uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other people that all of your members might know, but um, but it'll be it'll be fun for you all to walk through the. Wrote the Texas Cowboy Hall of Fame, and you can point out my stuff. <laughs> That's
2: right. Well, and you're going to be our keynoter, which is what's so great, too, on um, on our awards banquet, which is right in the middle of our conference in the evening there at Billy Bob's. So a lot of people will get to see, you know, you in action with your presentation you give us, and we're just so excited because the journey that you've had in the horse industry is so wonderful and really good for all of us to want to Emulate Because all of us want to have people understand how important agriculture is and how important the horse industry is. So for those that are listening, just go to www.cha.horse. Anyone can come to our conference. You do not have to be a member of Certified Horsemanship to come. Um, It is open to all, and we ride horses at our conference. We are not just sitting there in an air-conditioned hotel. We get out and ride. So the horses are being provided by the Fort Worth Herd. We're going to be riding the horses at the Drovers Ride, and then also by a local three-day adventure. who's a CHA instructor. He's also going to bring the English horses over. So We're very excited about all of that. So, Pam, um, as we wrap up here, is there anything that you would like to just add or just say to all of our listeners today in regards to just agriculture, the horse industry, your journey, anything at all?
0: Well, I think that we all walk the same path. Um, we do this because we love it. And I learned at a very young age that if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And um, those are some of the, the messages I'm going to share as the, as the keynote at your convention as well: is that, you know, doing what you love and sharing that and lifting other people up and, you know, sharing information are, are really how we all not only grow this industry, but make this industry um, have a bigger voice in the world. And so um, I think we all walk the same path, and I can't wait. And a little a little surprise also for your thing. It may not be a surprise to you, but to maybe some of the listeners, we're also going to have a notable teamster there that's going to show harnessing, not only of light horses, but of heavy horses as well. So there will be plenty to learn there in November in Fort Worth with the CHA event.
2: Yes, I'm very excited to have Alan come. That is going to be great to have Alan Cartwright there to be able to do that for us. Yeah, we have some really good speakers, and just get on the website, and you can see all of them. And hopefully you can come and join us. And Pam, in the meantime, if our listeners really are connecting with you, and one of them would really like to reach out and find out more, learn more about you, how's the best way to do that? Website, social media, what would work best?
0: Um, well, Gentle Giants is on gentlegiants.tv, which is the draft horse uh, presence. Um, my personal Facebook or Instagram is just Pam Minnick or Pamela Minnick. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm not all that active on, on some of those things, but the best thing you can do is turn it on to RFD TV or the Cowboy Channel because you can watch my programs almost every single day and, and they're all learning experiences for all of us. We can all learn, can't we? Yes, we search hand, Pam, and
2: I'm just so excited that you are uh, having the opportunity to keep doing all these shows because um, the, the different breeds and the different disciplines is what makes this horse industry so special. So, thank you so much for being on our show today. We really appreciate
0: it. It's been so much fun, and I can't wait to see you guys in November.
1: Thanks, Pam. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Cut there. Yay.
0: Good. No dogs. She's good. No, you did a all great right. job. That was super. Thank you, ladies. Thanks, Pam. Talk to you chat. soon. So, so let me give you my aside. So my good horse, Smarty, that I just took for laser treatment, the one won at the World Show on last year, he's got a yeah. strained deep flexor tendon, so I can't ride him next week at the VRH World Show, so I've got my oh. young horse that's never even been away from home so I've got him saddled right now and I'm I'm getting ready to because I wanted to, there's an arena near the vets and so I brought him here so he can get all the boogers away from him. So that's that's how I'm spending the rest of my day.
2: <laughs> Very smart though to do that. Well I hope you do great on him and I hope your other guy feels good after his laser treatment.
0: Thank you. See you soon. Bye bye. All right. Bye Cam.
1: So who was she mentioned bull riding? Who was the first cowboy that jumped on a bull and said, "Let's see, let's see how this is going to work"?
2: Oh, I don't know, but it wasn't anybody with my personality style. I'm way <laughs> too <safe> for that.
1: <laughs> you know, and I thought about that. Um, all these different sports make okay. Bronc riding makes sense. They they were at the time when this I whole started, thing started um, that's the way you started them yes. back in the day that was you know take the correct. wild horse off the range hop on his back and buck until it stopped that made sense correct the roping events made sense that was that was part of the skill set you needed to have True. why did they need to invent the skill set of bronc of riding <laughs> a bull, a bull.
2: <laughs> i don't know I think it's great. I think that was one of those things where you think you can ride that horse. What about get on that bull? And there was some betting going on. It might've been some beer drinking going yeah, on. Yeah, I think go. there was
1: whiskey involved when that one was invented. I really do. Probably
2: need something stronger than beer for that. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> well,
1: that was just, so sorry. That's funny. just, that just popped into my head when Pam was talking about, uh, the various, uh, rodeo sports, but we're going to get our next guest on Barbara Schulte now. And, uh, Let's have a chat with her. She's got a really interesting story, too. So so let's give her a holler.
2: We are so excited to have our next guest on the show today is Barbara Schulte, a high-performance coach, a horse trainer, the author of four books, a publisher of video blogs, online programs, a clinician and speaker, and an honoree in the National Cowgirl Hall of Fame. She's a cutting horse competitor. Barbara was the first woman to win two legs of Cutting's Triple Crown. She was awarded the National Female Equestrian of the Year Award by AQHA and the Women's Sports Foundation. In 2020, she received the American Horse Publications Equine Industry Vision Award for her positive impact across the horse industry. And just this year, she received the Western Horseman Women of the West Award. Barbara is the CEO of the Center for Equestrian Performance, and she lives in Brenham, Texas with her husband, Tom. Hi, Barbara. How are you? Good, Christy. I'm so happy to be here
3: with you and all of your listeners.
2: I am so happy as well. Could you explain Texas is a big state? Where exactly is Brenham located?
3: <laughs> yes. Um, sometimes we call it the United States of Texas. <laughs> so it oh, yes. is a big. It is a big state. Um, Brenham is right dab smack in the middle between Houston and Austin. Um, You have to drive through it if you go from one city to the next. So it's in the uh, southeastern quadrant of Texas.
2: Very nice. I know I've been to Texas quite a few times, but I still don't feel like I've hardly even seen a quarter of it.
3: I know it's so diverse and, Where we live is very beautiful because the Brazos River uh, flows through this part of the country and it's very like large rolling hills and hundred year old oak trees. It's more like the south really than, you know, the hill country of the west of Texas or the flatlands of the north. Anyway, it's, it's a beautiful spot.
2: Well, I would love to learn more, and I think our listeners would too, about what is high-performance coaching, and how did you get into it? Well,
3: Christy, when I was um, first starting out in my cutting horse training career, I thought it was really interesting that a lot of the same competitors would win or be at the top, near the top, even though they didn't have the best horse. And so it wasn't just about the horse. It was about these people who were competing. And I really was just naturally intrigued by that. I've always had a natural passion, interest in psychology and the human spirit and those kinds of things. And then, as fate always has, good things that come our way. My sister pointed me to a book uh, by a man named named Dr. Jim Lair, mental toughness training for sports. I went to receive training from him just in a like a three day seminar. And that led to him inviting me to be certified as a personal performance coach in the in the equestrian world. And basically what that means is that we all want to perform or to do whatever we do you know we with our horses we want to be our best selves when we ride you know be focused be calm do what we know how to do and what happens is sometimes we get nervous or we get distracted or we are you know a little miffed about something that happened we're in more of a negative state overwhelmed hurried and so we ride really below how we really can ride either in a lesson or a clinic or certainly in competitions when we feel the pressure is on. So I really wanted to understand, and this was the life's work of Dr. Lair, how to help athletes and high, high performers, performer meaning that you you want to do your highest level when it's on the line you know, like at a certain time in a certain place as, say, for example, competition. And he spent his life studying that and came up with really fascinating work, uh, work in that. His tools and strategies are very simple, very straightforward and very profound. And they work in every field and have an incredible impact on riders. And, of course, because it has an impact on riders, it has an impact on the horses. And so I just, right now, just talking about it, I have chills, I just love it. It unlocks potential, it unlocks, helps people unlock their joy, Um, it fosters a belief in oneself, it uh, boosts self-esteem, and of course, the immediate results with a horse are incredible.
2: So when you come to our international conference in Fort Worth in November, You are going to be talking about this, aren't you?
3: Yes, I am. And I'm so excited about that. And I'm so honored that you all invited me to come. Yes, I'm very excited to come. I'll be talking about this and I'll be um, giving a presentation on a horse, you know, talking about the ideas and then showing what can be seen on the outside and giving examples. And so I'm looking very forward to that. And it's a little bit, um, well, it's exciting for me to talk to other instructors because I don't really have that opportunity that often. And that's a treat for me. And because I'll also get to learn as well.
2: Yes, we are so excited to have you come because, you know, the training the trainer, the uh, training the instructor is truly what we do at that conference. And so Mm -hmm. things to keep our students calm and focused and learn more about what they do in other sports and because horseback riding certainly is a sport and be able Mm -hmm. to um, help our students after we learn from you how to do this. Yes, I'm very much looking Mm -hmm. forward to your session to find out more. Good. So let's good, good. go ahead and go back into your life a little bit. How did it all begin? How did the journey happen with horses? How did you end up um, doing so much with uh, cutting? How did you get into the National Cowgirl Hall of Fame? How did it all happen, Barbara? Give <laughs> us, give us the journey.
3: Well, you know it's so interesting about our lives, right? There's no way we could ever know what the exact Outgo journey would be, and that's what makes it exciting. But it first began um, with my family, and I lived in Southern Illinois, and our family had four to five hundred horses. and My dad used to come to Texas to buy horses um, from the Four Sixes ranch, the King Ranch from the biggest ranches in Texas, and bring them back to illinois and he was really the consummate horse trader by that. I mean, you could bring your horse and get a, a horse from dad. And he had everything from, you know, very uh, unregistered horses that were fun for people to ride. Um, he had yearling colts and then he was in the, in, in the Western world and HOHA And so we, as children showed um uh, pleasure and horsemanship and dad really loved cutting and that was his real true passion. So that's what I grew up doing is riding and showing all of those Western events. But also there were five kids and you might say we were the marketing arm of dad's business because we all had from the time, you know, I guess eight or 10 years old, had a string of four to five horses after school and then in the summer we would have up to 10 horses and then we would take them to the shows on the weekend and the idea was that we would not come home with those horses that they would be sold from people seeing us ride and show them and so after school and in the summer we spent our time improving the horses so that they could be sold so that's how it my my interest in cutting began. And then I, to be honest, I got a little burnout on that um, because I love to do lots of things. And in our family, there wasn't really a choice if you did horses or not. And so I just, when I went to college and graduate school, I studied speech pathology and audiology and took a bit of a sabbatical. And I met my husband and he was intrigued by our family and he loved horses. And so he's really the one that got me back into horses. And so of all the things that I did as a child, I really loved cutting the most. And so I began a professional cutting training career. And then all all the while, as I was honing my skills as a cutting horse trainer and honing my showing skills, that's when I started observing These competitors that were at the top of their game, and I was like, I want some of that. I want to learn how to do that beyond the the exact horses that they were riding. And so that led me to the Human Performance Institute in Orlando, Florida, where they train Olympic and professional athletes. And then from that point on, I was so taken by it personally, and saw the impact on my students, and saw the impact on the people that began to follow me and take my courses and it's just been something I've, I've loved my whole life, you know, combining uh, the high performance techniques, and not only in cutting, but my certification there was across all equestrian disciplines. And because the, the tools, the thinking tools and what you do with your body and, and how you lower your heart rate on demand and uh, pre-ride ritual, you know, many of those concepts, they're not just cutting specific. So I've had a blast um, applying the information and helping riders um, across the spectrum, English, Western, as well as um, recreational and trail riding to, you know, the highest levels of competition.
2: I love that. And going back to how you were raised, just a little bit more, because I find it fascinating, when your dad got these semi-loads of horses in, how many did you all sell a year?
3: Well, yeah, that's an interesting question, Christy, because I'm not sure of that number, but I do know at one point in time, he was the person who had transferred more American Quarter horses in the AQHA than any other person. I don't know if that wow. record still still holds true, um, but we had one. The main barn housed a hundred horses. And then there was an indoor arena that was attached, and then there was another small shed row barn that that had that was called Cutting Horse Alley that had twenty twenty cutting horses. And so, you know, we had 120 horses at all times under a roof, and then many pastures of horses all around. And so when dad would get these horses in, he was known throughout Canada and the Midwest and the South, and, you know, we were so centrally located that people would come from all over. And I can remember as a little girl seeing the horse, the people stand around waiting the semis to pull up and dad would be, they would be unloaded and come down the alley and they'd come into the pen and then dad would sort them in and buy. And then, you know, the ranch hands who work for dad would saddle them and ride them. And people wanted to be the first to get their, you know, cherry pick the horses. And <laughs> um, so it was, it's really something thinking back. I don't know anyone else who's had that really exact same business model in the horse world.
2: And so what were your chores as a kid like? I bet they were kind of intense. I bet you had a lot to do. (laughs) I
1: did.
2: (laughs) And, uh,
3: you know, it's an interesting use of the word chores because I always think of chores as kind of like feed the horses or clean the stalls or, you know, do the things that need to be done to maintain the everyday operations. But because we had our business operation was so large, we had people who were hired to do that dad and my mom too, but my dad was the one that really ran the horse side of things or the, you know, buying and selling. Um, He, our job was to ride, put the time in on the horses to improve them so that when they would be ready for people to, to come to buy. So let's say Christy that you were coming and you were looking for, you know, a, a pleasure horse or, you know, just or not just, but a, a trail of a horse, a recreational horse to to ride on the trail and be with your friends, you would have eight to ten horses to, to look at. I mean, it, you didn't have just one horse. You had many horses to look at. And you could bring your horse that you didn't, you know, you had outgrown or you, had, you were having trouble with, and you could trade it in. So, there would be a waiting room of people that were waiting to do the deals with dad. And so we would get off the school bus or get picked up from school and come home and saddle a horse and ride it and unsaddle it and rinse it off and get the next one.
2: You're right. What a unique concept. It's one-stop shop because now to go and find horses it takes forever. You've got to drive to all the different locations, see the one horse. Then you've got to go to another location, see the one horse. So the way that your dad's operation was set up was very unique. I find that yeah. fascinating. So yeah. how did you become a National Cowgirl Hall of Famer? How did that journey occur?
3: Okay, so you just gave me chills again because um, I that um my induction into that organization has is, has been and is a highlight of my life. Number one, I'm so honored and so humbled, but also because of the women who are in that organization and the variety and just the incredible positive energy. And I know people are coming to Fort Worth for the, the um, convention and for the gathering of CHA, and I would highly recommend going to that museum. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, but in terms of how I ended up there, you ha- you have to be nominated, and then there's a you know nomination process. Well, my husband, unbeknownst to me, nominated me, and. I had no idea. It was a complete surprise. And one day I was training my horses, you know, as as a professional cutting horse trainer, which I stopped doing that at the beginning of 2018. But um, I would be at the barn, you know, from five in the morning until one or two in the afternoon. And I got a phone call and I sat down and they told me. And I was just, blown away. So that's how I got to be in there. I was uh, nominated by my husband and he sought people to recommend me and letters of recommendation.
2: I love that. And I'm really intrigued also by the Women's Sports Foundation award that you won. How did that all come about? Well, um, from
3: about, um, I would say, in the late, um, in the early 90s, for about six or seven years, I was a writer for the American Quarter Horse Association for the journal. And I wrote, wrote on uh, peak performance, development of confidence, those kinds of topics, for that organization and, um, had great relationships with those people in the AQHA and every year, um, they give an award in conjunction with the women's sports foundation, which, um, is an interesting idea, you know, that I think it's to honor, uh, women and, you know, at I think the sports foundation honors riders as, or, you know, women athletes, and I got a call about that as well, so I'm not sure exactly how that came about, but that's what the award is, and I'm not even sure if that award even exists at the moment, but are still to this day, but um, that was quite a, a great honor for me.
2: Well, it's such a good thing because there's so many out there that do not think that horseback riding is a sport, and we're still fighting that uphill battle. I mean, I literally now, I'm no spring chicken anymore. I'm getting up there decade by decade, and I still remember in high school trying to get physical education credit for horseback riding because I did so much of it. And I still remember having to have so many of my riding instructors write to the school and explain exactly all the things I did in order to accomplish <laughs> horseback riding and why uh-huh. it made me physically fit. And so they finally gave me credit. But it was really like a lot of work like to make that happen. Yeah. So here we are all these years later, I think, still fighting that battle. So when I see that Sports Foundation awarded you something, I'm so glad that AQHA has that partnership and I hope they still do
0: because that's wonderful.
3: Yes, absolutely. I mean, it is an incredible sport. I mean, I mean, for all the reasons that you cited. So yes, yes.
2: I would agree. So Barbara, as we um, close up here, is there anything else that you would like to tell our listeners who come from all breeds, all disciplines, all experience levels, every stage of life, um, about mm-hmm. just anything in general as we wrap up. Yes. Well, Christy,
3: it's been a, just like for all of us, our lives are such journeys and and we're just all continual learners. You know, we just keep, it's just, That's one of the most wonderful things of life is just to keep learning. And because I love and have such a passion for this idea of not just quote unquote performance under pressure, there's not a great word for that. It's a term that gives, evokes the correct to me meaning of it. It just is the ability to unlock potential. But I think there are three parts of it. And I think that instructors have such a huge, huge role in doing so much good in helping people believe in themselves and um, having just the joy with their horse and not just the technical side of it, that they believe in their people to help them believe in themselves. And because that's how that's so much of why they ride, but it's hard, It's at least for me, when I'm trying to teach someone how to do something, uh, it's not that I completely lose sight of it, but um, that's such a gift that we as instructors can give to people. And then as we learn how to help people uh, go from a state of calmness or uh, nervousness, for example, or anger, and know that they can with learning tools of how they think and what they do with their body transform that in the calmness and focus is another great gift that we can give them that not only helps their riding but it goes into all parts of their lives and then also the sense of community and the connection that people have not just with their horse but with each other i just think there's such there're such great gifts that we have to give to our writers. And that's one of the reasons why I love what I do so much.
2: Well, Barbara, we so appreciate you being on the show today. Is there a place where if someone wants to find out more about you and chat with you directly, they can a website, social media, what is best?
3: My website is barbashulte.com. I have a weekly three to six minute video uh, blog about just all of these different topics interwoven into horsemanship and some about cow things. Um, I also have a Barbara Schulte Facebook page and I'd love for people to join me.
2: Wonderful. Well, we so appreciate it, Barbara, and I cannot wait to actually see you in person in November uh, when you come to our international conference. And for those that are listening, just go to C-H-A dot horse, click on the international conference tab, see the schedule of events and register there and it's open for everybody. And what's so great is that you get to ride horses with us. It's not just hotel based. So please come meet Barbara, meet Pam who was on earlier and uh, just please come join us. So thank you again, Barbara. We really appreciate you being on.
3: Thank you, Christy. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor and I, I cannot wait to be with all of you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye,
1: Barbara. Thank you. Two really, really interesting guests with really interesting journeys, but a little bit different. It wasn't your classic um, either go to school or learn as a working student, become a trainer path. It really, it, I think that really highlighted today how diverse the career options are in the horse business.
2: Oh, without a doubt. And I loved how Pam's background was non-horsey parents, very much like me, and that her journey was through 4-H. Mine was through Girl Scouts. So you just never know when your love of the horse is going to blossom. You know, what are Mm -hmm. you going to do if you come from the non-horsey parent world? And then Barbara, the complete opposite, she was horse, 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 horse all the time because her dad did it, and that's what she did. And then she took a hiatus from it for a while, and then her husband got her back into it. I thought that was a cool journey, too. So, yes so yeah. many
1: different paths in yeah. this industry different paths and paths that pause and then go back and then pause and then go back so anybody listening who uh, you know it's like oh i have this drudgery job or i ha- i don't have any horses in my life right now it doesn't necessarily stay that way
2: no It sure doesn't. And that reminds me, I get a lot of phone calls, and I I always forget to mention this on this show. Use certified horsemanship as a resource. Hop on our website, cha.horse, go up to the tab that says find an equine professional near you, type in the abbreviation for your state or province, so A-B for Alberta, C-A for California, they all come up. Click on their name and you can see what they're certified in. And if they're close to you, give them a call. Maybe you can go visit them and get back into the horses again. They will probably have wonderful school horses to ride and a journey as well. That would be fun to find out. And then they will listen to your journey and away you can go.
1: There you go. And to find all of this online, you can go to com. This is going to be episode 2704 for June the 15th, 2021. And if you're listening to this show in 2025, thanks for listening. <laughs> you can follow us on... Yes, yeah,
2: we've been doing this about 12 years now. Yeah, you uh, can... in the morning even longer, but the CHA part's been oh, Yeah, quite a while you have been with been us great. for a
1: long time. And you can listen on your favorite podcatcher. Uh, just pick one for your phone. You can listen that way. You can also listen on the Horse Radio Network app. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. It works on both Android and and iPhones. For CHA, how do people get get it? Does CHA have a Facebook page? Of course it does, right?
2: We do. It's CHA instructors is our Facebook page. And then we also have Instagram and of course a YouTube channel with a ton of free videos on there on how to teach certain things, how to ride certain things. So definitely check that out.
1: There you go. You can find it all at CHA.horse as well. Well, we will see you again next month, Christy.
2: Yes. Thanks so much, Coach Jen. Talk then.